Hey everyone, and welcome to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that today's message encourages and inspires you and helps you on your journey to discover and follow the will of God. To find a typed outline of today's message, you can go to the show notes or details page of your podcast platform. Parenting can be difficult. Luckily for us, scripture provides some great blueprints and models for us to see and follow about raising up our kids in Christ. Today we'll be looking at some of those principles of the plans that God's established for our parenting in Psalm 78. And now, here's Tom Claiborne with a final message in our series in the Psalms called Praise and Peace in a Broken World. encourage you to go ahead and get your sermon notes uh, page out. And even though our focus, uh, all the message is going to be uh, from Psalm 78, we're actually going to start with a verse in Genesis 18. So you might open your Bible there. It's one of the verses lifted at the top of your outline there. Parenting is a blessing. And parenting is a challenge. It's at times joyful and at times painful and frustrating. So we can probably relate to the mom who was quoted in Reader's Digest uh, some time ago as saying this. She said, when my daughter was born, we videotaped the birth. And this was back in the VHS days, I think. And now when she makes me angry, I just hit rewind and put her back in. Well, obviously, we can't put them back in, uh, parents, nor would we really want to. They're a little big for that. But once they come out, parents, they are our responsibility. And beyond feeding them and caring for them, our primary responsibility is to pass along to them the baton of faith. Our primary responsibility. An interesting account in Genesis 18 of what looked like three men coming to talk to Abraham one day. What it actually was, we read, and if you read Genesis 18 and 19, you figure out that it's two angels taking human form, and the third man is God himself taking human form. And these three have come to speak to Abraham. So in the verses that are listed at the top of your your page, Genesis 18, 17 through 19, it is God speaking to the two angels about how much they're going to tell Abraham. Listen carefully to what he says. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Notice verse 19. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. God seems to be indicating to these two angels that if Abraham was to receive the promises God had given him, it would involve Abraham not only directing his own children to follow God, but the household long after that. 
I ask you this question. Are you keeping the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just? And are you directing your family to do the same? Ephesians 6.4 tells us that we are to bring up our children, quote, in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's pretty direct. Our daughter, Anya, ran uh, track in high school, following in Lene and I's footsteps, but I was a distance runner, and she followed in Lene's uh, footsteps and was a sprinter. And although she did well for her six years in the individual events, she had the most success as part of several good relay teams. Uh, and I know Lainey Davis remembers that because she was part of uh, a couple of those that I think broke school records. One of the most significant factors in the success of a relay team is how well they pass the baton. A bad handoff of a baton can lower a team two or three spots in the order of finish. And a dropped baton or an exchange outside the zone leads to disqualification. Passing a baton is a serious thing. Parenting and grandparenting are all about successfully passing the baton to the next generation. And that's what Psalm 78 is all about. Read with me in the first seven verses, and it'll keep building, and seven, verse 7 becomes the climax. It's the goal of the first six verses. It says, O oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. And here's the goal, verse 7. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. See, that's how God intends for the process to go. And the goal is in verse 7, and you got three blanks at the top of your page, and I want you to write these three words in, because I, I boiled this verse down to three things God wants of us, but us also passing it on for generation after generation after generation. And that is that we trust, remember, and obey. Trust. Remember and obey. So how does that happen? How do we not only do that, but then pass that on generation after generation after generation? How do we build a heritage of faith generation after generation? Well, I want to suggest this morning five ways on your outline. And the first is this. Let's build purposefully. In other words, it's not a a haphazard, accidental thing that we hope happens. <laughs> it is a deliberate, thought-out, conscious, intentional process. 
verses 3 and 4, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation. Notice the purposefulness of that. The conscious effort, the priority. In other words, it's saying, we are going to build a heritage of faith in this family. We are going to. Verse 4, the verb tell is very important. We will tell the next generation. In other words, it's not, well, we, we hope they notice. We hope our kids will notice our faith. We will tell them. Now, I believe that the lack of this purposefulness is the biggest reason that many families are not building an ongoing heritage of faith through several generations. See, the idea in Psalm 78 is this. We want our children to know and follow God. We want our children to understand God's love and grace. We want our children to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. We want our children to live for God when they're children and when they're teenagers and when they're young adults and when they raise their own children. We intend for every generation in this family to trust God, remember what He has done, and obey Him. See, I don't think it's ever going to happen if we do not say, this is where we're going, this is our purpose, this is our goal. You see, until we personally commit ourselves to doing everything possible to make that happen, it's not going to just happen. One of the main important, or most important factors in this process, among others, is our family and God's family being intertwined. Our family and God's family, the church, being intertwined. Now, let me just give you a quick personal uh, testimony, and I guess it's kind of a confession, too, uh, about my 90-year-old mother. been a faithful Christian woman all these decades, and there's so much I respect and appreciate about her and qualities. But there was one thing when I was growing up. My mom had one issue. My mother had a drug problem. When I needed to go to the doctor, she drug me there whether I wanted to go or not. When I needed to go to the dentist, and I hated the dentist, it was my least favorite place on planet Earth, still is. <laughs> when I didn't want to go to the dentist, she drug me to the dentist. My mother also drug me to church on Sunday mornings, Sunday school and church. My mother drug me back there on Sunday night. <laughs> my mother drug me to youth group, whether I wanted to go or not. A lot of times I did. Most of the time I wanted to go, but sometimes I didn't. But guess what? She drug me there. And in the process, she taught me how absolutely vital worship and Bible study are for life and eternity. She taught me by example. So friends, I will never understand the very twisted logic of parents who say, you know, I don't want to make my kids go to, to church because, you know, they might get older, they might rebel against it and follow, really? <laughs> really? You're going to go with that argument? I bet if your child doesn't want to go to the dentist, you still take them to the dentist. If they don't want to go to the doctor, you still drag them to the doctor. If they don't want to go to school, you still drag them to school or make them go. If they don't want to go to their 4-H meeting or soccer practice, you make them go. So why all this wimpy passiveness when it comes to the most important area of their development? 
their soul, their eternity. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. Folks, that's got to be an absolute priority in our home, so let's purposefully build a heritage of faith. Here's the second way we have to build if it's going to happen. Let's build consistently. Let's build consistently. Verse 5 and 6 says, He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel. When he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, then they in turn would tell their children. And then the goal, that they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. In other words, we teach the next generation to trust and remember and obey. You know, building this spiritual heritage is an ongoing process. It's always happening, not just for a couple hours on Sunday or praying before a meal. It's consistency over life. It's offering, point A, consistent guidance to them. So one of my favorite verses in all the Old Testament is in Exodus chapter 3 when God called Moses and Moses didn't want to go and he's scared and he's trying to make excuses and so well, who should I say sent me? And, and there's this famous verse in Exodus 3, 14 where God says to Moses to explain who he is. We have that? All right. It says this, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say, to this, uh, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. But then notice this. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, see three generations, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and catch this, thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now how in the world was that going to happen? God tells Moses, how was it going to happen? Through the, well, Moses would tell his kids, and they would tell their kids, and they would tell their kids. One generation passing it on to the next, and then that generation passing it on to the next. You farmers will appreciate this, and, and especially if you've milked cows. About a little boy who went to uh, the country, uh, he was from the city, he went out on his first farm ever, and he was watching cows being milked. And he's just kind of intrigued by it, not saying anything, sees them you know, take milk, milk from the cows. Then a while later, he sees the farmer turn around and get a bucket of milk and feed some calves. And then this light bulb goes off of this little boy and he says this. He goes, I see it all now. He goes, they get it when they're small and they have to give it back when they're big. <laughs> but what an image that is. They get it when they're small and give it back when they're big. That's what we're supposed to do with our faith. We get it when we're small, ideally, so that when we grow up, we can pass it on to the next generation. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, and the wonders He has done. One of the greatest passages in all the Bible about this passing it on is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where in verses 4 and 5, it gives kind of the, the most important command of all, and then it says how we're supposed to pass it on. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's what we all need to know and do. Notice this, though. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk 
of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, in other words, all through life, interacting with our kids. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, it's an active process of training the next generation, a consistent process, not a passive one. It's talking about God as you go through life with your kids. It's reading the Bible. It's connecting Bible principles to everyday life and helping the kids connect the dots on those things. This passage in Deuteronomy 6 is called the Shema. We talked about it Wednesday night in our, in our Bible class. And how the Jews, to, to take it literally, would literally put like scriptures in these little boxes and wear them on their foreheads. And you still see Orthodox Jews in Israel doing this today. And some would even put them on, on their, the door frames of their houses. And there's Jewish hotels that still do that today. Because it's a vivid reminder that the Word of God should always be central in my life and in my family. And you would think about it, we could do something similar in our own houses. We can put up plaques that have scriptures or biblical thoughts or signs or pictures with scriptures on them. Or we could use them as screensavers on our computers or, or put them on post-it notes around our house or on our mirrors as we're getting ready in the morning. Or, or we can post things on Facebook that are scriptures or thoughts that, that, that God has taught us. But the real point is, what we're saying when we do that is, in this family, in this family, we strive to live by biblical principles. That's how we do it in this family. So as parents, we must offer consistent biblical guidance to our kids. And the goal is that they would trust God and remember what he's done and obey him. But building that heritage consistently also means consistent prayer. In other words, we consistently pray. We pray for God to be honored in our home. We pray for wisdom and strength to be godly parents and grandparents. We pray for our spouse, spouse who is parenting with us. And we pray for our children. And there's tons of things we can and should pray for our children. We can pray for their hearts, their decisions, their relationships, their growth, their spiritual and physical uh, protection, their attitudes, their priorities, their courage, their values, their convictions, their faithfulness their future spouse. And I've been blessed to be married to a woman who has done this consistently and faithfully every day of our kids' lives, and I think even before they were born, and continues to this day. Now, I pray for our kids, but nothing like the consistency that she has shown. But see, the goal is that those kids and their kids would trust God Remember what God had done and obey him. Let's consistently build a heritage of faith. Let's review. We do it purposefully, we do it consistently, and thirdly, let's build wisely. Notice how the psalm opens up again. Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. In other words, we're going to pass on these ancient words of God that are still true, still changing lives today for generation after generation. So how do we build wisely? Well, point A is our first aspect of that. We build wisely with good teaching. Verse 4 and 5 talk all about teaching. We will tell the next generation. 
Verse 5, he decreed statutes for Jacob and established a law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. Here's a question for you parents. How well do your children know the teachings of the Bible? Had them 10 years, had them 12 years, had them 20 years. How well do your children know the teachings of the Bible? Got some two sub-points under that one about teach, good teaching. Number one, we need to teach them what God has done. What God has done. That's what verse 4 is talking about. The praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, and the wonders He has done. You realize the rest of this psalm, and you ought to be glad that I'm not preaching the whole psalm, or we'd be here like three hours at 72 verses. <laughs> but the rest of the psalm from verse 9 on is talking about the history of Israel. And it goes through how, verse 13, how God divided the Red Sea and and how he led them by cloud and fire and gave them water and then he gave them manna from heaven and then he gave them uh, quail to eat and, and all this and he did miraculous signs in Egypt and it just goes through their history. And it's saying, you need to teach this history to your kids of what God has done. You see, when we do that, we're helping them see God's greatness and his power and that'll strengthen their faith and it'll allow them to develop contentment that God has things under control and it'll build courage in their life because they see they serve a God who is powerful. And it gives them hope in a world where there are so many uncertainties right now. So we need to teach them what God has done, but also, secondly, we need to teach them what God has said. Verse 5, he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. We teach them God's laws. We teach them his commands, his do this and don't do that. His principles. We teach them truth. We teach them right and wrong. There is still such a thing. We teach them basic values. So let me ask this question. Are you even reading the Bible in your home? Personally? or with others in your family. Ed Bowsman, we supported his radio ministry since well long before I was at Bethlehem, probably in the 60s. Ed's gone on home to, to heaven, but his radio programs are still played around the world. All right, that great radio evangelist uh, tells this story about his own upbringing. He says, many years ago, when I was about nine years old, my dad opened the big family Bible and laid it on the dining room table and told me to read it out loud. He sat in a chair nearby with another Bible open on his knee and followed as I read aloud. Day after day I read. When my dad was in the last weeks of his life, he lamented that he had not done much or too much for the Lord. I reminded him of the days as a child when he had taught me to read the Word and that it was that discipline that later on was responsible for me being a preacher. Then Ed says this, now the plot thickens. He says, 20 years later, after he died, I asked my mother shortly before she passed away, why dad used that method of teaching the word to me? And she said that when dad was a child, he had a blind grandmother. And this blind grandmother had told her young grandson to read the Bible to her. He says, so this blind woman, who was my great-grandmother, was born in the first part of the 19th century. She may have wondered, as most of us would, why she would suffer blindness. And notice he says this, her desire for the Word of God over a hundred years ago is the reason many of you hear me on the radio today. Went back four generations. A respect for the Word of God. All because a blind woman all those years before 
took the Bible seriously and followed Psalm 78 literally. Let's teach our kids what God has said. But also a second major part of building wisely is we build wisely with a healthy structure. A healthy structure. Verse 5 is about structure. It talks about statutes and laws and commandments. In other words, rules. You know what those things do? <laughs> laws and rules protect us. See, with laws and rules and boundaries, we protect our children and our grandchildren. It guides them. When we say there are certain things you can do, certain things you can't do. When we tell them yes, when we tell them no. Wise parents have rules and expectations for their kids. Some parent wrote years ago, I don't have a name to go with it, but I clipped this out of a newsletter a long time ago. Guy writes, I had the meanest parents in the whole world. He goes, while other kids ate candy for breakfast, I had to have cereal, eggs, and toast. When other kids had Cokes and candy with lunch, I had to eat a sandwich. He said, my parents insisted on knowing where I was all the time. I felt like I was on a chain gang. He goes, they had to know who my friends were and what I was doing. They insisted that, that if, if I would be gone for an hour, then I would be gone for an hour or less. I'm ashamed to admit it, but they actually had the nerve to break the child labor law. <laughs> they made me work. I had to help them do chores in the house and outside in the yard. You know, things like make my bed and rake the leaves. All sorts of odd things. It says, I think they actually let, would lay awake at nights thinking of mean things they could do to me. <laughs> he goes, as I became a teenager, it got worse. They made me bring my friends and dates to the door so that they could meet them. How humiliating. My friends were lucky. They got to date at the mature age of 12 and 13, but my old-fashioned parents refused to let me date until I was 16. My mom and dad were complete failures as parents. But then he ends it this way. He goes, I was never arrested, <laughs> never got into fights, never talked back to a teacher, never got kicked out of school. I got along with everybody. And who do I have to thank for this terrible way I turned out? <laughs> my mean parents. They made me grow into a God-fearing educated, honest adult. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the meanest parents on earth. They saved me much heartache and pain. They saved my life. Let's love our children enough to provide healthy structure that includes saying no. But we also build wisely a third way. We build wisely with clear warnings. Verse 8 starts this warning thing, and really the rest of the, the Psalm of 78 is about warnings. It says this, They would not be, in other words, this is the goal, that they would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. The men of Ephraim, though, uh, armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. Then you jump down to verse 32, and after describing all these things God had done for them, it says, in spite of all this, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. Warnings. Warnings about what could happen. 
1 Corinthians 10.11 speaks years, years, centuries later about this very thing in Israel and how they, they messed up and didn't pay attention to God. It says these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for, for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So let's learn from the sins and consequences of the past and teach our children to do the same. And there's plenty of negative examples in the Bible to show them. Let's break bad cycles in our own families. So I want to ask you, are you building wisely, parents? Because the goal, again, is that your kids would trust and remember and obey. Let's review. We're to build purposefully. Number two, we're to build consistently. Three, we're to build wisely. And four, let's build with others. Notice that verse four, our memory verse, starts out with the word we. We will not hide them from their children. Do you realize that we can accomplish a whole lot more together? We can help keep each other on the right track as families, as individuals, as parents. That we can support and encourage each other in this effort. That we can learn from one another as parents and grandparents. And that we can pray for each other and for each other's kids. I think one of the coolest things that could happen after this service today is to have some of you young parents with young kids still at home to go talk to another set of parents in this church and say, hey, let's make a prayer partnership between our families. We'll pray for your kids, you pray for our kids. Let's, we'll pray for each other's marriages. We'll pray for each other's families. We. We. Teamwork. Now what's that teamwork look like? Well, point A, it means teamwork in our family. Spouses need to be on the same page when it comes to this process. Grandparents and parents need to be on the same page and reinforce the same basic values. As children grow, siblings need to help and encourage each other within the family because together we can build that heritage. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation. But it also means teamwork in God's family, the church. In other words, God's family and your family have to be in partnership. The family and the church are both ordained by God and are meant to complement each other. Strong families will make the church stronger and more stable, and healthy churches honor and encourage the family. It's a cycle. You should never separate them. It's not a competition between church and church family. It's a partnership. So I ask, is your family fully involved in the life of God's family? Together we all do better. It's we. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation. But also teamwork looks like this, point C. It's teamwork through healthy relationships. In other words, our relationships with other adults to share support and share ideas and to share encouragement and to share the same goal of building a heritage of faith in an increasingly godless society. I think it's more important than ever in America's history for Christian parents to stick together right now. And it also means being concerned and involved in our children's relationships. We need to guide our children toward people who are a positive influence on them. And we need to steer them actively away from people who will be a negative influence on them. We need to steer them toward people who will make them better. 
and people who will help them love God more. People who will help them reach the goal to trust and remember and obey. That brings us to our final one. How are we going to build this heritage of faith? Let's build by personal example. And this is sometimes where we drop the ball. Two very scary verses in verses 56 and 57 of this psalm. After all this stuff, talks about all these things God has done. God did this for Israel. God did this. God did this. God intervened. Verse 56 and 57 says, But they put God to the test and rebelled against the Most High. They did not keep His statutes. And notice this phrase, Like their fathers, they were disloyal and faithless, as unreliable as a faulty bow. Like their fathers. In other words, the nation went downhill because someone dropped the baton and didn't pass it on, and then these generations were not continuing to follow God. And then one generation didn't, and then the generation after that didn't, and didn't even worse, and it went on and on. And I've watched that in the United States of America over the last 40 years. Clip this years ago, your home is bugged. Every home in America that has children is now bugged. It, and it's not talking about all the technology stuff now. Each child has been given two microphones and receiving sets called ears. And every word you say, every oath you make, every prayer you pray, every dirty word you utter is immediately picked up and transferred to their central learning system. And one day you will hear exactly what you have exposed to those listening ears. And I would add to those watching eyes as well. I still remember when I, I knew this was a principle, but I still remember the first night, the first day I learned this as a parent. Leah was little enough that I was carrying her in my arm one Sunday evening, walking across the yard to bring her over here. And I remember, I don't know, I was walking along and I spit in the yard. And guess what Leah did two seconds later? <coughs> She's trying to spit, like me. And I know you can say, Leah's into spitting in the mood of her father, okay. But... <laughs> But the point is, she decided to do exactly what I had done. Now, parents, you and I know that we do some dumb things, and we say some dumb things, and we say some careless things. And they see and they hear, and often they do. They are watching. Julia Staten wrote years ago, if we say prayer is important, but our children never see or hear us pray, they will follow our examples rather than our words. If we say the Bible is an important guide to, li to our living, but we never read it, the children will follow our examples rather than our words. If we say Bible school and worship on Sunday are important, but don't go if another activity interferes, our children will follow our examples rather than our words. I've seen this play out for 41 years here at this church in some families. She goes on, if we say God's way is the right way, but we hardly give God a thought as we go about our daily lives. Our children will follow our examples rather than our words. So I want to ask you, are you building a heritage of faith or a heritage of hypocrisy? Because our kids notice the difference. Are your words and, ex and your example leading your children and your grandchildren to trust God and remember what he has done and obey him. Let me read you about two families 
that lived in the 1700s, just that's like ancient history. Now, the, 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 the centuries that passed in between are very important to this. Two men that lived in the 1700s, and I want to just trace their families through the years. A guy named Max Jukes lived in New York. He did not believe in Christ nor in Christian training. He refused to take his children to church even when they wanted to go. And by the time this was written, Max Jukes had had 1,026 descendants. 300 were sent to prison for an average of 13 years. 190 were public prostitutes. 680 were admitted alcoholics. His family thus far, up to that point, has cost the state of New York in excess of $1,420,000. With few exceptions, they have made no contribution to society. Well, at the same time, a man named Jonathan Edwards was alive. He lived that, that same period of history, and he loved the Lord. And saw that his children were in church every Sunday, even if they did not want to go. <laughs> By that point of this writing, he had had 929 descendants. 430 of them were ministers, 46 were university professors, 13 became university presidents, 75 became authors, 5 were elected to Congress, 2 were elected to the Senate, and 1 became vice president of the United States. His family has made a tremendous contribution to the world. You see, both families in the 1700s set a pattern in motion that just kept carrying out. And it started with those two men and what they believed and what they did. And then that was passed from generation to generation to generation. You see, Jonathan Edwards took seriously the principle of Psalm 78. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children and then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. I want to ask you, what course is your family on right now? Right now on this day, March 21st, 2021, what course is your family on? It's on some course. What pattern have you set in motion? You see, you and I cannot change our ancestry. We can't do a thing about that. We can't change our troubled childhood. We can't change our own checkered past. We can't even change yesterday. But folks, we can do a whole lot about today and about tomorrow. If we were blessed to have had a heritage of faith, let's not be the one to derail that. Let's not drop the baton of faith. Read about a boy who came sheepishly and very scared to his mother one day, a little boy, and he asked her a dreaded question. He goes, remember that old vase? <laughs> she said, uh, which one? He said, the really old one. And she said, you mean the priceless old vase that's been handed down in our family from generation to generation? He said, yes. And this generation just dropped it. <laughs> Folks, I do not want to be the one that drops the vase in my family. So the next generation would know them, 
even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. And then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Let me close with this quick reading from Diana Fromm as we prepare to sing our song. She entitles this, For My Children. She's writing to her children about what she can leave them. Listen carefully, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, whatever. Diane Fromm writes to her kids, If I leave this world and I do not have a library of books to give you, I have not failed you. You need only one book. <laughs> if I leave this world and have not a house full of rooms to leave you, I have not failed you. A room is waiting. And if I go without leaving silver and gold to make you rich, I still have not let you down because true riches cannot be seen. But if I die and have not taught you about Jesus Christ, then I have failed you. And if you die and have not accepted Jesus as your Savior, then you have failed yourself. She said, things of this world are fleeting, but things of the next are forever. That's what it comes down to. Bottom of your page is a statement that I hope you will make today. I will follow God's lead so I can lead others to Him beginning with those closest to me. You ready to make that commitment? Parents, grandparents, we're going to sing an old familiar song about trusting and obeying and, and that's Two of, those, two of those big things we talked about. Trust, remember, obey. That's what God wants for generation after generation in all of our families. Generations who will trust, remember, and obey. So I suspect there's some parents that probably ought to and should this morning maybe even come up front and say, like the rest of us imperfect parents, you know, there's some things I've, I've just falling short on. Or right now, I'm in a period where I, I've, I've not done well. I did well for several years, and this, right now I'm in a stage where I'm not doing that very actively. And I want to start over. I want to be a new parent today. Maybe there's parents that need to come up here and say, we're trying all that to the best of our ability, but we just want our church family to pray for us as parents, to be that kind of parents who pass on that kind of legacy through the generations. Today can be a new start for individuals, for families, to say, this is it. I'm going to follow Psalm 78 as I follow the Lord Jesus Christ completely. That starts with us personally. So maybe you need to trust and obey him personally first, to trust what he's done for you on the cross and repent of all you've done and been and trying to live it your own way. Confess that faith publicly. Be buried. Bury the old life back here in that water grave called baptism. Say, new start right now. Thank you for listening to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and think others can benefit from it, we encourage you to share it on social media, subscribe to our podcast, or leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform you use. You can also connect with us online at Bethlehem505.org or find us on Facebook. Please join us next time as we each seek to understand God's word and follow his son, Jesus Christ.